0: <laughs> Alright, so this morning's a little bit different. We're not usually all in here. we not usually all in the back rows either, but that's okay. <laughs> um, what we were planning on doing this morning was having Jeremy, um, we were gonna take a break from the Roman series and do a video series on hermeneutics. Who knows what hermeneutics means?
1: Hermeneutics.
0: Hermeneutics, What is hermeneutics? Study of the Bible Study of the Bible. Bible study methods, right? Yeah. And so the plan is to uh, have that Romans class go through a series called herman Who, which fits because nobody knows what hermeneutics is about, right? So it's an introductory series to hermeneutics, what hermene- hermeneutics is all about. So that's going to begin next week. Uh, Jeremy and all of his family are deathly ill. Well, not not deathly, but they are, they're not enjoying life right now. Uh, they got a bug and they said it's pretty bad. So keep them in your prayers for sure. And You ladies that were in this class recently, they are joining our classes now. And after talking with other pastors, we thought that it'd be good for you guys to join that Herman Who series starting next week. So that'll be fun. But for today, today, we're all in here. We're going through soteriology. Who knows what soteriology means?
2: Study of the Spirit?
0: Close. That's the Salvation. Study of salvation. All right, good. So we're talking about the study of salvation. And for you guys who haven't been in here, you're kind of getting thrown in (coughs) waist deep because we've kind of worked up going through the study of the Holy Spirit, the study of man, the study of sin, these different studies that kind of help build the the framework for where we're at today. Um, And even this lesson, we're right in the middle of, election which is a big lesson with lots of questions lots of disagreements and differences of opinion and you guys are coming right smack down in the middle of it, which is great so welcome if you have any questions uh let me know and we'll do what we can to answer them speaking of last week for our sunday school class we had a rather different sunday school class remember we did our Proverbs 18, 17 class, where we had somebody present a case, and remember Proverbs 18, 17 says that the first to present his case seems right until another comes forward to examine him. And so we had somebody present a case for uh, blood transfusions and how those are not all right, and then somebody came up and corrected that heretic, rightly so, and then somebody else presented a case for uh the pre-existence that before we were born we actually existed in heaven and then mark repeated that and set us all straight so we ended that class pretty abruptly we answered a couple of questions but i just want to make sure that everybody knows that we didn't pre-exist we don't teach there is a pre-existence we don't teach that blood transfusions aren't a thing so before we get started with election any other thoughts or questions on that class that ended more abruptly than we had hoped. All right. It sounds like Dean and Mark did a good job setting us all straight, right? That's right. That's good. All right, well, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started again with our study of election. God, we do thank you that you are the sovereign king of kings and lord of lords, that you are above all. That you have you have taken your position as a the Almighty, Transcendent God, and you have become eminent. You have become close to us and noble and relatable. You have took on flesh so that you could um, you could sympathize with us. God, we thank you that we have a High Priest who is far above all the the previous High Priests, who is the ultimate High Priest who has taken and chosen and sanctified us. God, we pray that you would help us have a greater, deeper understanding of you, that we have a deeper appreciation of who you are and a a love and a desire to know you more. God, we pray that you would help us to worship you this morning as we learn about you and that we would have just a more fully-rounded understanding of what it is that you've done for us and to us in saving us from our utter depravity. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen i right, got a couple of brave souls making their way to my friend. That's good. All right, so last week talked about, like, we just through, through, uh, in talking about elections, we went through in quite a bit of the detail, uh, Romans 8, which you guys in Romans class recently as well, right? You guys went through in much more detail than we did. But uh, just to kind of jump us into where we were, I'm going to read for Romans 8. Verses 28 through, we'll go to 31. 31 through verse 2. It's Romans 8, 28 through 31. It says, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. For those who born new, we talk about that word and how that's a, a strong word that's not just talking about foresight, looking into the future, but God knew us in a very personal, intimate way. Um, in the same way that Adam knew his wife and Cain knew his wife, and it's uh, an intimate personal uh, word that's used throughout the whole New Testament, God knew us in a loving, saving way before him. So, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. That doesn't mean that he would be firstborn in the sense of being born, but he would be preeminent. He would be the the Prototipos, the the first, the the highest, among the brethren. Verse 30, and these whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. We also talk about that word call and how there's a difference between uh, a general call and an effectual call. A general call is what we're all called to do in the gospel. We're all called to preach the gospel, right? We are ambassadors of Christ. We've been sent on a mission to reconcile a lost and broken world to a holy and perfect God. That is the ministry of a Christian to preach the gospel. But an effectual call is a call that takes effect. A call that um, actually draws somebody in to the body. In John chapter 6, Jesus says all who the Father has given to me will come to me and I will lose none of who the Father has given to me. So there's a difference in a general call and an effectual call. And then, again, just because I like verse 31, says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? And the rest of the chapter goes through and talks about how nothing can separate us from the love of God. So before 31 talks about God's plan um, in eternity past and how that works its way out in, Uh, in time and then in verse 32 it talks about how we are secure and in Christ but this morning I need to get my cursor on the right page and then we're going to be talking about um, election from the standpoint of Ephesians 1 we ended with this slide last week trying to think about the question why God chooses particular individuals why would he foreknow only those who who are his? And we ultimately ended with the fact that we can't know for sure because God is God and we are not. And he chooses who he chooses based on his own prerogative, his own will. And it's certainly not because of anything that we do. It's not because we're smarter or better or more godly or more humble. Um, it is all 100% based on what God and God alone has done. Yes. Yeah, just where he says, uh, I will have mercy on him. I will have mercy on that's It's in fraud. Yeah. He will, he will pick him. He'll tell us later. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it is incredibly presumptuous of us to say that God has to give us a gift, right? I was talking with Dean the other day about an issue he's having at work, and somebody asked him for donated product. And he had had issues with them in the past. And so he said, no, we're not gonna donate anything to your cause this time. And they got upset with him because they wouldn't, because he wouldn't give them something for free on behalf of his company. And it just, that, that thought doesn't compete with me there. You ask for something um, that you aren't entitled to at all. And then you get upset when it's not given to you. Um, that's the same kind of thing we have going on here. when We are asking, well, why would God choose only some and not choose all? When in reality, he doesn't have any obligation to choose any. We are all depraved. We are all enemies of God. We are all lost in our sin. And we had no desire to know God, to come to God before he changed our, our hearts. We love because he first loved us. And so for us to look to God and say, Why didn't you choose this person? Why didn't you choose so and so? How dare you, God? We're in no position to do that, right? Rex referenced Romans 9, uh, that God will have mercy on whom he has mercy, he'll have compassion upon whom he has compassion. And the potter is the one who molds and makes a clay. And as a play, we're in a position to talk back to the potter and say, why did you make me like this? Why did you make me into a toilet rather than a vase? Um, how, How dare we, as the creatures, talk back to the creator, right? That is pretty audacious for us to even think. Uh, But it is a a valid question. And at the end of the day, we just have to rest in knowing that God chose whom he wanted to for his own purpose and for his own glory. If you're not already in Ephesians, turn to Ephesians 1. And look with me. I'll start at verse 5 says that he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind uh, right there the fact that we even need to be adopted speaks to the fact that we are born in sin right that we are not by nature children of God but we are by nature children of wrath we are enemies of God and therefore we have the, the need to be adopted we wouldn't have a need to be adopted if we were already his but we need to be brought into his family But it goes on to verse 6, and it says that he adopted us in Christ Jesus to himself according to the kind intention of his will. That's the basis upon what he did, his (laughs) kind will. And then it says in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And that's about the best answer we have, is he did this to the praise of the glory of his grace, because it glorified his name because he wanted to. And Why he did for some and not others, we, we don't know. Uh, a, a parallel passage to that is Deuteronomy 7.7, 7, where it says that he chose Israel because he loved Israel. And so we see God's uh, special choosing and election of Israel, apart from all the other nations, right? He didn't choose any of the, the Moabites or the Perizzites or the any of the other heights. Um, he chose Israel and Israel alone. And he did that simply because he loved Israel. And why did he love Israel? Because he, he chose to. There is no, nothing great about Israel. Israel was a small, small of the nations. We see over and over again throughout the Old Testament how many times Israel was unfaithful to God and turned away from God. And just really, um, they're, they're spoken of as a, a prosecutor. They prosecuted themselves to other gods and other idols and God's still in love and grace and compassion in his loving kindness. Keseh is a, a great Hebrew word that is equivalent to grace. He chose Israel because he loved them, And that's about the best answer we can give. And I know it's not super satisfying, but we can rest in God's love and, and perfection. The other passages that we must study to understand is Ephesians 1. This passage is absolutely critical to our thinking regarding predestination. So Ephesians 1, verses three through six. We already read part of those. Can we get somebody else to read that passage for us, please? Ephesians one, three through six.
1: I can. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world To be holy and blameless in his sight, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Alright,
0: so looking at that passage, how many active verbs are ascribed to man in this passage? What are some of the active verbs we see? Go ahead and read about the Shout them out. Praise to God.
2: Has blessed.
0: Has oh, right. okay. blessed. Yeah. That's something that is being done, right? An action. He chose. Who chose? He chose. He chose. Okay, let's not talk about man, let's talk about God. God chose. What other active verbs do we see? He predestined All right. He predestined. He freely bestowed. All right, so all these active verbs, how many of them are ascribed to men? Not a one, right? They're all ascribed to, to God. God is the, the one and the only one who is working in this passage. Nobody else is doing anything. We're all passive recipients of what God is doing uh, in His perfect will, right? Again, in verse six, or verse five, at the end of verse five, that it's according to the kind intention of His will that He chooses to work in anybody. He's the one who's working, and we are merely passive recipients. and we should be thankful that it's chosen to work in our lives, right? When is all this taking place? Before the creation of the world. Yeah, before we even existed, right? So for us to think that we had any part in our salvation um, would be utter foolishness. This happened before the foundation of the world. I think it was Jonathan Edwards who said that we have nothing to contribute for our own salvation except for the sin that makes it necessary. Uh, we have no part, no right to to claim anything in our salvation other than the need that we have to be saved. And then who is the us in verse five? And why? what's that <laughs> I believers okay and why do you think it's believers because we were predestined so it can't be the same. Okay. any other reasons we know that we're talking about, about believers adoption the only believer was adopted yeah adoption like we talked about before right not everybody is by nature a, a child of god uh remember john 8 Jesus was talking to the, the the Jews and he said that you are under your father the devil. They said, No, our, our father is Abraham. He said, If your father was Abraham, then you would do the works that, that God requires you to do. You are children of your father the devil. And they understood exactly what he was saying to pick up stones to stone because they didn't like that. And they were evidencing their childhood of Satan by doing that. Again, first John 3 talks about how. We either do the works of our Father or we do the works of um, the Father of this world, the devil, right? All right, who is the one who is doing the choosing? We already answered this, but it's good to review. God is the one doing the choosing, right? And then, based on these four verses only, just looking at Ephesians 1 in context, how would you describe the process by which enemies of God become children of God? God's choosing. Adoption by God's choosing. He's wondering the word. Once again, we are passive recipients. Um, let's jump over and look at Ephesians 2 for just a moment. Just to kind of reiterate this. Paul gets into this a little bit later in the next chapter. But Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Not... You were broken, not you needed healing or many, but you were dead, right? And you're trespassing to sin. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That is Satan. And the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Once again, that is our, our default state. We are children of Satan by nature. And that's exactly what he goes on to say. He says, among men, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest but God what great word right several times throughout the scripture we see that we're just painted in this utterly miserable state where we are uh, hopeless in and of ourselves but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions even when we were dead in our transgressions, so while we were dead, before we did anything to to bring ourselves to life, because we all know that a dead person can't bring himself to life, right? That's just foolishness. Mm -hmm. Um, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches Of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Once again, there in verse 7, we see the the purpose for why he chooses any, so that he might show the surpassing greatness of his riches, and the riches of his grace. Um, It's all for his praise, all for his glory, not because of anything that we do. We're utterly dependent upon God for our salvation in in every respect. Mm All right, predestination. is a word pro meaning to determine boundaries beforehand. So we were predestined in Christ, determined beforehand. We see this in Acts chapter 4. Let's go back to, to Acts. we will be in Acts 4 27 through 28. Can somebody read those verses for us, please? Acts 4 27 through 28. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Come <on. 27, clears throat> All right, indeed, Herod and uh, Pontus Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city. To conspire against your Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm sorry, your Holy Servant, uh, Jesus, whom you appointed. Anointed? Yeah. Maybe I'll start over again. When you anointed, they did what your power and will had had decided beforehand should happen. All right. had decided beforehand to happen. Anybody else have a different word in that verse? Verse 28? Predestined. Predestined. You and your hand had predestined to occur, right? And you notice that there are four different groups of people mentioned in verse 27. Who are they? Herod. Herod and... Pilate. Pontius Pilate. Pilate. The Jews and... Gentiles. The Gentiles. So that's pretty all-encompassing, right? You think back to Jesus... Uh, betrayal and his death and everything that took place in there at, in the atonement um, in the propitiation right um, and Herod's included, Pontius Pilate the Jews and Gentiles and it says here in verse 28 that this was all according to God's purposed, predetermined plan and so you think about how God was orchestrating all the events even in the the most brutal horrific event in all of history where the perfect god incarnate made flesh was crucified the only innocent person to ever walk this earth was killed in the most brutal way conceivable and god was at work his hand was in all that predestined everything that was to take place at the hands of all of these individuals And you think about all the the billions of free will decisions that took place in in just that day. Um, People who were of their own accord, desiring to to kill Christ. They were taking the the hammer and they were driving the nails through his hands of their their own accord, right? Their own initiative. But God was the primary mover. God was the one who was predestining that this would take place, that this would occur. And you think back even farther before that day and think about... The soldiers who were there gambling for the clothes of christ right to fulfill prophecy well what if their parents had never met in that starbucks in first century jerusalem right Then they would have never been born what about their grandparents they had never met and got together all these different things were predestined by god so that his purpose could be fulfilled we think in our own lives about how everything takes place according to god's perfect will ephesians 1 11 verses beyond where we were that his perfect will guides everything everything happens according to his will and how many times have you been, been saved just by maybe a millisecond of you know pushing on that gas pedal by just a, a fraction of a degree more pressure than you were before and you were spared and um, or leaving your house a little bit later and maybe you avoided some kind of terrible accident or, or car ripe or all these different things. Think about how maybe you've met your spouse, not you, the other ladies, but those uh, <laughs> of you who are married and all the different events that conspire to, to make that meeting take place. And again, think back even farther to your parents your grandparents your great-great-grandparents and every little thing is happening because it takes place according to God's predetermined plan and um, according to his perfect will. So it's kind of crazy to think about that God has orchestrated all things together in that, in that fashion, in that way. So in Acts 24, 27, 28, every time this word is used, that is predestined in Scripture, it is expressing the concept of God's sovereignty, that He is absolute, complete, and in total control of, of everything. He's the one who's orchestrating all of it, um, making sure that everything takes place according to His perfect will. Uh, in, what is this, the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, it says that the omniscient God has determined everything in advance, both persons and things, in salvation in salvific history with Jesus Christ as the goal. So it's not just things that he's predestined, but it's people that he has predestined and determined before him. There is Present, a present reality for the Christian that he or she possesses every spiritual blessing in There's so much rich theology and doctrine here in Ephesians one that um, I personally kind of glance over that that fact, but that that's what he's getting at in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's a present tense reality for those believers who are in Christ. And we often talk about uh, eternal life, and we look forward to eternal life as something that's going to take place. But our eternal life has already begun, right? We are in Christ. We are living in Him. And we have presently every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And like I said, it can be easy to overlook that with all the rich theology we have in the rest of this passage. The only way that we receive these blessings is by the grace of God, completely apart from our own involvement. That's a total gift from God himself. Any thoughts or questions at this point? I know that's kind of a lot. Brady's got a, a question. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> we just gotta put her on the spot. All right, let's keep going with the themes. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. Let's read that voice. Ephesians 1, 7 through 14. Who's got that? Okay. All
2: right, good. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory.
0: Amen. What beautiful verses. What do you guys notice off the bat? Just reading through those. Anything stick out to you? For his glory. <laughs> For his glory, all right. Then verse 12, again, same concept we saw back in verse 6, right? The praise of his glory. Anything else?
2: We haven't done anything.
0: There. Yeah, again, over and over again, he did this, he did this, right? He is the one who is at work. And why? To the praise of his glory. Let's go through this and look at it together. So verse 7 talks about the redemption in Jesus' blood, right? It says, in him, we have redemption through his blood. Um, it's not our blood. It's not in us, right? It's not in Stan or Joe or anybody else. It's in Christ through his blood. And then again, our forgiveness is according to the riches of God's grace. Just over and over again, we see this concept being drawn out and emphasized that it's all about God, all about God. It's him, 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 not anything to do with us. Verse 8 His grace has been lavished upon the believer. Verse 9, the mystery of God's will has been revealed. It says that he made known to us the mystery of his will. The mystery is something that was concealed in the Old Testament, revealed in the the New Testament. something that is not evident and automatically clear to us and has been made known to us by his will. Verse 9 again, that God's purpose is found in Christ according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. God is the one who worked these things together. He did so through the Son. And then all things are summed up in Christ, verse 10. And then one of my favorite verses, our predestination results in an inheritance. That's a, another aspect of this adoption, right? We are brought into the family of God. Not only did he save us and redeem us, but he has adopted us and made us His own. He's given us His greatness. We talked uh, several weeks ago about how we as Christians, we have this, um, Where it is where's There's a red. We have this infinite debt that we owe, right? All the way down to the bottom as, as you can go, uh, a negative infinite uh, standing with God. Because we have sinned, even if we only sinned once, we sinned against the holy, perfect, infinite God who's eternal. And so we have an eternal debt to God. And if Jesus were to just wipe away that debt and forgive it, then we would be up here at ground zero. We wouldn't be uh, either sinful, we wouldn't be righteous, we would be neutral. Just for clarification, there's no such thing as neutral, right? We're all born enemies of God, we're down here, completely indebted to God. But God didn't just do that. He gave us his righteousness so we have an infinite positive account with God. So he looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he sees us as being fully righteous. If we were just Uh, fully sinful, that wouldn't be enough to be in right standing with God. We're called to be holy even as he is holy. Alright. Again, in verse 11, God works all things together to accomplish his own will. Um, It's a a comforting verse, especially in times of distress, in times of confusion, um, when something doesn't go your way, and you're not sure when when you back out of your car and you run over a baby, you can know that happened according to God's perfect will. As terrible as that sounds, um, that's not something that is a surprise to God. That's not something that is a mistake or an accident that catches him off guard. Even the terrible things in life happen according to his perfect will or his glory. And if we have our theology in place before something terrible happens, then it's going to go a long way in helping us understand that biblically and handle that situation biblically. Uh, Even just a, a death in the family, a death of somebody who is 70, 80 years old can catch people off guard and cause them to doubt the goodness of God if they don't have a proper theology and understanding that all things work together for God's will. That our sinful, depraved nature has brought death into the world. That sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. If we understand that, then terrible things that happen make a lot more sense when, when they come about. We can continue on with life without blaming God and realize that he is in control. He needs to according to his will. Verse 12 says, our promised salvation results in the praise and the glory of God. Then, what are the steps that take place? You see four different steps. I believe. So, verse 13 talks about the hearing of the gospel. It says, In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth. This is how salvation comes about. How can you hear without a preacher, right? In Romans 14, 10. Um, there's a 10 14. Uh, 10 14. Um, that the hearing of the gospel is vital, it's necessary. Second is believing the gospel. So it's after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. So you hear the message, you respond to the message by belief. Thirdly, you were sealed in the Spirit. You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And how long are we sealed in the Holy Spirit? Anybody know? We are sealed by God till, till you can break God's seal. <laughs> Amen. Both great answers. Jim says, until you can break God's seal, which you can't do, right? And Jerry was referring to Ephesians 430, the other verse in Ephesians that talks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We are sealed in Christ, and he's not gonna let go of us uh, until the day of redemption. We were talking about this on Wednesday in our class, right? You guys remember what it means to be sealed? And I put you on the spot. What does it mean to be sealed in the Holy Spirit? <laughs> what did we relate it to? Remember, we talked about a stamp. Remember that? Yeah, they're, they're not good guys, but they're <laughs> That's okay. It's their first day in this class, and I put them on the spot. I should do that. Uh, but uh, we were talking about taking a stamp and, and sealing a letter, and how that would indicate who it was from, but how if that was done by somebody who was in a position of authority, then it came with a, a, a greater deal of authority, right? And, talk about how uh, the tomb of Christ was sealed with a Roman seal. So they put a seal on that tomb saying, this is not to be touched by anybody else. Under uh, persecution of the Roman cohort, right? You're not to, to mess with this, this tomb. And Jesus said, no, my authority is better, right? And I'm going to gonna break that seal <laughs> if I want to, because I give you authority. You have no authority except for, from me. But that, that seal is a, it's a, a promise. It's the same word for an engagement to, ring, to promise. It's a, a down payment of sorts. We have been sealed in the Holy Spirit. He is our promise in God for our ultimate inheritance. We talked about that uh, just a few verses before, that we have an inheritance that is coming. We have the down payment of the seal of the Holy Spirit. Do you have something right? Yeah, it's kind of like a signet ring in wax. Yeah. That they used to do too. Yeah. All right, and then uh, verse 14 says again, the spirit is, or down here, like we were just talking about. Any thoughts or questions at this point? All right, we are rolling along.
2: In in verse
0: 14 says who is the guarantee in the old King James that word is earnest. Okay. Like earnest money for if you understand earnest money for a house, if you don't complete the contract you lose the money. Well Mm -hmm. God gives his spirit this earnest. And God lose his spirit. Yeah, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God himself, right? (laughs) He is not gonna lose the Holy Spirit. That is the the earnest money, that guarantee of our salvation. Mm -hmm. He has uh, himself become flesh, laid down his life, given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee right. of our inheritance. Uh, I think we're pretty secure and safe in Christ, right? All right. Find all the according to phrases in this chapter. Um, we'll just go through and look at them because there are quite a few. So according to the kind intention once again of his will, right? He is the one who is saving us. It is His will that we are saved by. It is according to the riches of His grace, verse 5 or 6, somewhere there. there. Um, yes. <clears throat> to the praise and glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved, according to His kind intention. Again, it's Him, in him, him, all Him. Then according to His Purpose. Again, I don't know if we can stress this enough, but in our natural state, we have no desire for God. We, we hate God. And sometimes that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because maybe we grew up in a, a believing home that treasured God and the things of God. But in our, our state, we love our sin. We, we want to hold on to our sin until God reaches in and changes us and doesn't work within us. We respond to him because of his love that he bestowed upon us. And he changes our hearts. He makes us into a, a new person. If we weren't regenerated into a new person, then we would have no ability to respond to him at all, to, to love him. Um, it's all according to his will, his grace, his intention, his purpose in our life. And what does that tell us about salvation? Uh, what I just told you, right? That is all of him. We can't do anything to make ourselves right with God. We have to be changed by him before we can be reconciled to the Almighty. According to these passages, what did God look for in people as he predestined them to salvation? Nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Not looking for all the tall folks. Not looking for all the pretty ones. He's not looking for the the good kids. He knows that we're all broken, and we are nothing without him. Wayne Groom says that election is an act of of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. then MacArthur and Mayhew say that the decree of election is the free and sovereign choice of God made an eternity past to set his love on certain individuals and on the basis of nothing in themselves but solely because of the good pleasure of his will to choose them to be saved from sin and damnation and to inherit the blessings of eternal life through the mediatorial word of Christ. Once again 100% of oh God has nothing to do with us whatsoever. Uh, he's given all his righteousness Not only take away our sin, but he has given us his righteousness, adopted us into his family, and made us one with him. John Frey says, this kind of election is unconditional. That's a beautiful word, right? Um, Not only is his election of us unconditional, we can go back in the Old Testament and look at uh, different promises that he made to different individuals. We can see the unconditional promises that God made based upon who he is. Look in Hebrews chapter six, God swore by himself because there's nobody greater to swear by. He can't say, well, I swear by this mountain or I swear by um, this temple or the goal of this temple. He swore by himself because he is, once again, the, the prokoticos, he is the ultimate, the preeminent one, the firstborn, right? Um, and firstborn means that he has all the rights just as a firstborn child would have all the rights. So this kind of election is unconditional. God chooses us before we choose Him. Our faithful response is a gift of His grace. So election and salvation is not based on anything we do. It is entirely gracious. It is
1: also eternal before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4. From the beginning,
0: 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. And before the ages began, 2 Timothy 1, 9. And as we write in Ephesians 4, 30, it is until the day of redemption. We are in Him for good. Uh, can we get somebody to look up that 2 Thessalonians 2.13 passage? That's a good one. Well, if somebody's looking that up, I'll get 2 Timothy 1. Man. Who's got 2 Thessalonians? we got a quite a bunch of them. <laughs> for <laughs> so we are bound
1: to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth.
0: All right. He chose us the sanctification from the beginning, right? Again, that should be a comfort to us, that our salvation isn't dependent upon anything. We look at Romans 5. And it's while we were dead in our trespasses and sin that he saved us, right? It's not because of anything that we did. Um, then Second Timothy 1, already 8 and 9 says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our words, but according to his own. His purpose and his grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all of eternity. All of eternity. <laughs> what a, what a trick, right? <coughs> um, that's a good thing. It should cause us to bow down and worship and praise and adoration, realizing that for no reason, He chose us. And for us to, in an evangelistic manner, realize that there are a bunch of lost and dying people who are in need of the Savior. And to be willing to take that sometimes uncomfortable, awkward step to Tell people about the love and the grace that somebody took the time to, to share with us and told us about so that they can Know this salvation as well, right? We talked about how um, You must first Hear the message before you can believe the message and then you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and so as believers we have an obligation and really a privilege to be part of God's plan to tell the nations about his goodness and his grace we have an opportunity to be that, that tool that, that intermediary person who leads somebody to this great gospel of grace that even though we're sinful and dead uh, God has made us alive with him in Christ why is it that all people are not saved there are only two options you have those down on your page there. Option one, that God does not choose all. Or option two, that God lets all choose. Those are pretty much the only two options as to why not everybody is saved. That God doesn't choose all, or God lets everybody choose. or only some choose Him. The greater purpose of God not choosing all is that it's for His own glory as the sovereign. Again, we might get caught up in that and not fully understand that, but God is God. His ways are above our ways. His purposes above our purposes. His thoughts above our thoughts. Um, and the greater purpose of understanding God's sovereign or God's election, by well, His sovereign election, I guess, um, in letting other people choose, is that man's choice is is If so man has a choice as free worship and. So, in understanding that God doesn't choose all, uh, He does so for His praise, for His glory. And if God were, uh, last week we were talking again about foreknowledge and a different understanding of foreknowledge, where it's uh, more or less just foresight that God looks into the future. He's up in heaven with His telescope trying to see down into centuries past who's going to respond to God, who's going to have faith to respond to God. Well, first of all, that's going to, uh, in some measure, depend upon that person, that person is going to respond because of something that's better in them than in their neighbor who rejects God, whether that be their their holiness or humility, uh, something within that person, in that worldview, would cause that person to turn to God. And secondly, that doesn't really evade the issue altogether because God still would have created that person even though he knew exactly what they were going to choose. So say you have uh, we'll call. what do you guys use for your, your Roman studies school class? You guys have Bob and Sally, right? Is that who it was? Alright, so we'll have Bob right here and Sally over here. Let's say that Bob is a Christian who realizes that, that God is in control. God did need to keep Jesus and call of God to save him from his sin, where Sally is rejected. Well, if God sees that Sally is going to reject him, and yet he makes Sally nonetheless, then that doesn't do anything to uh, diminish this issue of um, God having some that are chosen and some that are not chosen, which I think is oftentimes the intention behind uh, this other worldview that says that uh, God lets everybody else choose um, because we don't want God to be impugned and to be guilty somehow. But he is still the one who's making the decisions. Right? He's still the one who's calling the shots. And so we realize that God in his sovereign purpose has chosen some to, to be saved for his glory. And he's allowed others to reap the reap the penalty for their sin, their sin that they love and they choose and they are uh, born with by nature. Then I think that results in a, a greater glory and understanding of the sovereignty of God. Thoughts on that? That's a <coughs> scary point to ask for thoughts or questions, but
1: that's what mm-hmm. i of like Judas and Pharaoh. You know, yes. God, you know Judas. He was given.
0: I mean, Jesus, right there. But God knew for His glory. Yep. Yeah, God's hand was in that just as much, right? And like we saw in in Acts four, even the crucifixion itself was for God's glory, His praise. And one more passage in Acts I want to read Acts two twenty three. Uh, talking about Jesus. He says, This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and poor knowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So, these men here are called godless men. These men here, they are accountable for what they did to Christ and nailed him to the cross. And yet, it still took place according to God's predetermined plan. God was the one who was a primary force, the, the primary mover in those actions, those things taking place. Um, But that doesn't relieve the the secondary causes. These men who are still culpable, still responsible for God, for their part of this sin. Alright. Got got that all figured out. (laughs) Alright. Study and learn. But remember, the question that must always be answered is, what does the text say? Uh, That's sometimes difficult to do. And it was these two texts, primarily, that changed my understanding upon how salvation works, whether or not that's ultimately dependent upon God or ultimately dependent upon man. Uh, Romans 8 and Ephesians 1, especially, to realize that God is the one who is doing everything. He is the one who is at work. We are passive recipients who just have the the grace to, uh, to even be a part of this whole equation of all, that God would see, fit somehow within his perfect will to save and redeem us. Adoption, I don't know, that we'll get there. I think we only have a few slides left. Let's see how far we get. As today's two passages express, that is Romans 8 and Ephesians 1, the purpose of our predestination is the adoption as children of God. We are not born as children of God, but we become children of God upon becoming new creations in Christ. We only become children of God if we were predestined to become such. That's kind of a heavy statement, but we've been working up to that throughout this class. Mm-hmm. So we are not children of God by nature, but we must be predestined by God in order to become children um, Last, well, not last week, two weeks ago, we looked at John 1 12 and 13. It's a good passage. I'm going to read that for you again. John 1-12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So those individuals who receive him, they're, they're doing not receiving, they're doing not believing, right? That's an action on their part. Um, but verse 13 says, it, um, says those who believe on his name who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We were born passively, right? You're not born actively. You don't do anything yourself for you to be born. That's something that God does primarily and then your parents do as secondary forces, right? Uh, But you're a passive recipient, passive participant in that action. And we are born spiritually, reborn a second birth, not according to our will, not according to the will of man, but according to the will of God. And yet, verse 12, we receive and we believe, right? All right, to become children of God, we had to have been regenerated in our nature so that we would be changed from fallen rebels to righteous saints. And next week, probably, we'll examine the particulars of the regeneration process. And then assurance. We talked briefly about assurance as well. Um, in these two passages, they express God's election and predestination to make salvation assured. We are sealed it in. Nothing's going to change that. That's A guarantee right a a surety a down payment the past tense of Romans 8 the God centeredness of Ephesians 1 and the absence of man's actions lead us down this road Romans 8 talks about how we have been justified we have been glorified we were called we were predestined because of his foreknowledge we'll discuss again next week more on these Um, but for now let's think about how if God's choosing of you had nothing to do with you How could you lose your salvation? We didn't get ourselves there. So for us to get ourselves out, we have to be somehow greater than God, right? Then whose purpose is must you thwart to lose your salvation again? We have to be greater than God. We have to be working against God if he were to say, you're mine and nobody's taking you out of my hand. And then for us to think, well, I can do that, right? We were working against God's purposes. So in closing, Let's take on these things, I think we've answered most of these questions already, but just to ponder uh, what comfort it is that there, that in these things um, we've talked about today, there's such comfort in knowing that we are His because He has chosen us. It's not dependent on us in any regard. Now why do so many people bristle at the text when it says that God predestined individuals according to His own purposes alone? Um, I don't know if you fully understand that. I think, again, a lot of the motivation behind that is uh, goodwill in trying to save God from looking like a meanie, to look like a bad guy, but God doesn't need to be saved, right? He's given us his perfect word, um, and we can take it at face value. And then thirdly, how do you biblically counter the retort that, that I guess we're all just robots? Any thoughts on that? Really, yes. if the
1: predestination that's where it could be a problem for people where we're thinking that somehow we might when it says bristle like well then that means that god you're chosen i'm not uh-huh. you know but, the, but god in his word shows us clearly in ezekiel 33 verse 11 as i live says the lord i have no pleasure in the death of the wicked yes. but that the wicked turn from his way and live yes. God des- God desires that all. That's what that's why John 3 16 for God so loved the world that he gave he, he he desires that we all come to him. You know I, I guess in common I'm having I'm wondering if the because he, God does know I know it's like what you said that you know what God is sovereign his ways are this is the, what God is sovereign. This is the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his thoughts higher than ours, his ways are higher than yeah. ours. We can't totally, like what we said at the beginning, you know, he's God, you know. Sure. We're not going to understand everything, but it can make someone bristle at it if, because if they're not his, well, that means I wasn't chosen. But it doesn't have to be that way. He can be chosen by God if he turns, like what, you know, here in Ezekiel, if he turns from his wicked, he, he goes, to, you know, he accepts the gift, the free gift of Jesus. Yeah, but God didn't choose
0: everybody. He only chose a select few out of all of creation. Uh, we talked about that last week. I think we have that recording up on our website. be oh, okay. yeah, A good one to go back and listen to. Like I said, we're kind of jumping into the middle of this. Yeah. This lesson. Because I can see
1: where maybe some of us could think. I'm wondering if people could uh, could see that. If, well,
0: then, that means I'm more special than others because I got chosen and you didn't. Yeah. has nothing to do with that, right? Yeah. We can't say that we were chosen because of anything we did yesterday. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, the robot is answered by the same thing: of birth. We're just robots because we didn't choose to be born. We're born. I <laughs> make us a robot. I mean, yeah. That's what it is. Like this. That's why he uses that illustration. He. We don't choose to be born and we don't choose to be born by god reborn by god yeah so it's an irrational question mm-hmm. all right with that let's close up prayer god we think you that you are good that you are just so we could rest in your perfect will okay help us once again to understand these deep thoughts about you and our salvation. We pray that everybody here would know you and that we would just praise you for who we are in Christ. Amen.